Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Truth About Success. And I'm really glad you've uh, had time to tune in today because we've got some fantastic, uh, fantastic guests that we're going to be talking about. So let's go straight in. We're going to get Mr. Nick Nansen to come in. And I'm going to just read out a little bit about uh, Nick here. So welcome, Nick. Good to see you. Good to have you on the show. And let me tell you a little bit about this uh, gentleman. He you know, he's he's not only just a producer and a director. Nick is a 22 times Emmy Award winning director and producer. I mean, wow, that is fantastic. He produces media and is branded content for top thought leaders and media personalities around the world. He's recognized as a leading expert on branding and storytelling. Nick has author, authored more than two dozen best-selling books, including the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Storytelling, and produced and directed more than 60 documentaries, earning him 43 Emmy nominations and 22 wins. Wow. So let's get straight in. Let's invite our first guest, the one and only Mr. Nick Nanton. Nick, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, hopefully, well, the good news about having me first is it can only go up from here. So I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah. Well, you know, first and foremost, I want to take this opportunity to thank you for all the help you have given me. You and your team and your fantastic team have given me. It's been great uh, learning process for me and growing. And that's, I suppose, what uh, success is about is to continue to learn and grow as you go along the way, isn't it? Would you agree with that? It's I absolutely agree with that. We human beings, I was interviewing Tony Robbins and I, I said, Tony, if you could pass along one piece of advice to the whole world, because not everyone has the opportunity to come to your seminars or events. This was, of course, before the COVID lockdown and Zoom, but some people still can't afford them. And he, he gave me a great answer, but he really, you know, one of the things we talked about is that all human beings desire progress. And that's really what we want. And if you aren't growing and learning, you're not progressing. You know, time is agnostic. Time is going to move and do what it does. And you're either progressing or regressing at every day. For instance, a silly example would be, you know, if uh, if you're not brushing your teeth every day, it's regressing. If you are brushing your teeth and going to the dentist and the orthodontist, whatever, it's progressing, right? So time will do what it's going to do. And it's up to us to make sure we're on the progress line instead of the regression line. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's fantastic. Well, look, let's just dive uh, dive straight in. My my first question I've got to I've got for you, which is one where a lot of people think that when they see successful people, they think they were born successful. So, what are your thoughts about that? Tell us a little bit about your your, your childhood and your upbringing. Were you born successful? Uh, no, I was not. Um, I was born uh, in the island of Barbados. My family has been there for about 300 years. We moved uh, to the United States uh, right when I was just before I turned one. And uh, I tell everyone I grew up with more love than I could spend. But we definitely, my family definitely struggled with, you know, acclimating uh, to the U.S. and my parents, you know, starting new businesses and jobs. And, you know, we had we had quite a bit of uh, financial struggle that I recall from my formative years. But um, I learned a, t a ton from that. I learned resiliency. I learned all the things that like I wish my kids could learn without those types of experiences. Right. And so I learned uh, how to be an entrepreneur young because I, I don't 
think the conversation exactly went this way, but at some point I got the idea from my parents that Nick, you can have anything you want in your life. We, we just can't give it to you. We'll support you, but we can't give it to you. So I started, you know, teaching tennis lessons when I was 12 years old and I figured out if I could get 10 kids on the court at the same time for $5 each for a half an hour group lesson, I can make $50. And then, you know, I, I progressed from there, did a bunch of other things, but I, I think I learned quickly that I was responsible for my own success. Um, I would have support, which I don't know how you make it without that, by the way. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of talk in the world about privilege right now. And there's talk about, you know, racial privilege and socioeconomic privilege and all these things. And, and I, <clears throat> I had the privilege of support. I don't know what it's not what it's like to not be a white man living in America because that's really all I've done my whole life. I've I've visited many more countries than I wanted to, been to Iraq and Haiti and and of course met amazing, beautiful people everywhere I've been. Um, but I, I I believe that we're responsible for our own success. Um, but I don't know what I would do if I didn't have the advantage of support and loving parents. So Nick, you know, this that is such a key thing. That word you just said, you're responsible for your life, for your own success. And I think one of the things I've seen is the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is successful people accept that responsibility that, hey, if it's to be, it's up to me. Whereas I see a lot of us unsuccessful, they blame everything, you know, they blame the government, they blame the family, they blame this, they blame everything, and they never accept responsibility. There. How important is that, would you say? It's everything. I mean, it's chapter one of Jack Canfield's success principles for a reason. Uh, and I think the thing that's even I love his perspective on is act as if you're responsible, because in some ways you really you couldn't be held responsible. I mean, if I'm driving my car safely on my side of the road and a drunk driver swerves over and hits me, you know, it's it's really not my fault. But if you act as if you're, you're responsible, then you say, okay, my responsibility now is how I respond. My responsibility is what do I do? How do I, how do I fight for healing? How do I fight for whatever it is? And so I think the mindset of acting as if you're responsible, even when you are not, is, is amazing. I, I so rarely feel like I find people in the world who, who really – take full responsibility. I had a, a guy helping do some, some work at my house the other day. He was doing some remodeling for me and you know, he, something didn't go as planned. And I said, man, this is taking you a lot longer uh, than you thought, isn't it? He, he goes, yes, it is. He goes, but that's on me. I, I should have, you know, I should have, I, I, he said something, but I was like, whoa, someone took responsibility. It's like such an unusual thing. Most people are like, yeah, it wasn't the way you told me it was, it was you know, whatever. But he's like, yeah, that's yeah. on me. I, I should have spent more time. Yeah, exactly. Excuses, excuses, excuses. So look, how do you find time as a director and a producer? I mean, I've, I've got admiration how you pull a story together and I'm sure there must be a, a formula, but you, I know you're directing, you're producing, you're a DNA celebrity agencies, you've got several businesses, you're co-authoring best-selling books, becoming the best at the bar. How do you find time to manage all these different facets of your business? I mean, time is our only finite resource, right? Time is the only thing you should not trade for money. Not that's not not fair. Not the only thing. It's one one of the things you should never trade for money, uh, because you can't buy it back. Uh, there there's 
there's no way to do that. And so what I do, um, I have a, I work with Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan is a great mentor and friend of strategic coach. And Dan Sullivan, I think says it most succinctly. Others have similar ideas, but he talks about operating within your unique ability. So oftentimes when someone wants to hire me to do something, one of the first things I want to do with them is to be very clear on what they want me to do and what they think I do versus what I really do. Right. Cause like you have an impression of what a director producer would, would do. Right. But I've found a way to operate within my unique ability, which is going to sound sort of esoteric, but the more you dig into your unique ability should really be the one thing that you do all the time. It's all you do. Ideally, it's hard to do that, but it's ideally all that you do. And the more you do it, the more you love it. You never get burned out, never want to retire. And you can constantly provide more value to the world and your client base. So you can make money if, you, if that's your desire and you certainly make impact. And my unique ability is having impactful conversations that lead to produced outcomes. And so my, I, I, you know, hopefully every conversation I have is impactful. That's the best, best I can do is have intentional conversations really, but hopefully it's impactful and it leads to produced outcomes. So that's what we're doing right here. If you had asked me to write a special report for you, I wouldn't do that. I might talk to a ghostwriter and have a impactful conversation that leads to a produced outcome. But I'm really, when I'm, whether I'm hosting a show in front of the camera, I'm directing from behind the camera or doing interviews, or I just had a team meeting earlier. I, 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 I run my businesses. I have to have accounting meetings and operations meetings and all these things, but I try to do them efficiently. But all I am going to do is going to be to have, you know, an impactful conversation and then I let everyone else produce the outcome. That is what I desire. Teamwork is the short answer to that, but I wanted to give you some insight. But, but, uh, but you know, just on that then, Nick, just listening to you. So you've got to find your unique ability. I mean, people watching now will be saying, well, how do I find my unique ability? Because they say 72%, I think it's 72% of people who work today hate their job. They just do it because it pays the bills. I mean, once you love what you do, I mean, I, I, I say the, the day you find to love what you do, that's the day you stop working and you really start enjoying life. But what do you, how do you find that unique ability? What's your unique ability? What do you look for? Yeah, the, the best way I know to explain is, again, Dan Sullivan, I, I give credit where it's due, said, hey, you know, he operates in 25-year increments. He said, if you aren't willing to commit to something for 25 years, Nick, let's not talk about it. Because so much happens in the micro that, I mean, we all had to deal with, you know, the COVID lockdowns. Like, <clears throat> there's hills and valleys, peaks and valleys for every life, every business. There can't be any hills or mountaintops without valleys. It just can't happen. So we're going to go through harder things. But if you're, if your why is a 25 year why you just, if someone builds a wall, you knock it down and you go until someone builds another wall in front of you. So it's the commitment. But what he said is, Nick, I want you to focus on every quarter, every 90 days. That's like a, a foreseeable future that has some immediacy, but there's some time to it. And just write down the list of things that you don't like doing. And then just try to remove two or three every 90 days. And he said, what will happen is eventually you'll get rid of all the things that cause you friction and you'll only work. And look, th this is an amazing concept. I'm sure there's somebody out there somewhere who only operates from their unique ability. I would say, you know, email is still can be annoying to me sometimes, but there can be a necessary evil. You know, there's, I don't always only ever have conversations. That's, it's just not, but 
95% of my waking hours, that is what I do. And so when you start removing things, it's like, I'm sure, I'm sure you'd remodeled a house or an office or something. And you know, you see that, Oh, I want to paint the yeah. walls because the walls are looking scuffed up. When you start painting the walls, Oh, wait a second. Now the flooring doesn't go as good. We've got to tear that up. Well now, now, so things that weren't causing you friction because they weren't causing you the most friction, now become your highest friction cause. And then once you start removing and whittling those things down, it starts to become more and more clear. Now I've been working by the way, on trying to define and refine my unique ability for almost a decade now. And I would say it really only became clear to me that I could express it probably in the last year to maybe two years. So like everything else, it's a journey. If there wasn't progress on it, I'd be disappointed. I'd be frustrated. And you know I'm a big uh, Brian Tracy uh, fan, and one thing he he did he did teach me was just simply, what is it you enjoy doing that you'll do even if you didn't get paid for, and then say how do I find how do I make that into um, part of my 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 income stream? How do I make make a living out of it? But it it really is important to find that unique ability and. I think most people stumble on it. I know I got in. I got into sales many years ago, but I was a shy introvert person. Most people don't believe that now, but I was a shy introvert person, and I got into it by by accident, you know, by being desperate of just going. I've got to find something to do it. So, how did you get into being a director and producer for documentaries? How did that come about? I, so I've been a musician and a songwriter most of my life and I, I love music and it is the most addicting thing in my life, but the most frustrating thing in my life is just so hard. It's just, it's a difficult industry that I'm still, you know, I feel like everything else I've done, I've been able to put the puzzle together much faster. Perhaps I should just quit, but I'm unwilling. Uh, so I've had a lot of learning experiences. And so, um, you know, one day I just said, you know, I, I, I have never really tried the medium of film. I've messed around with it a few times, but I want to try to tell a story uh, in film. And so I went to some of my clients and said, hey, I'm going to try to do this. Or would you donate and support? We're going to tell a story about a little boy with Down syndrome who plays T-ball, try to raise some money for special needs, and I'm going to try try to learn this skill set. And if I can learn it, it'll be beneficial to all of us. And thankfully, I had a few who said yes, and I went and made my first uh, short uh, short film. It was like seven minutes long. And then we got two Emmy nominations, and we won an Emmy. And so... We, my business partner, Jack, said, you should probably do some more of that. And I was like, yeah, maybe you're right. So, <laughs> so I just started doing more and more of it. And interestingly, by the way, my, what I love about film the most because of my unique ability and my skill set, film to me is actually a tool that opens doors uh, that I would have a hard time otherwise opening. Like I, I've interviewed Tony Robbins three times. If I wasn't doing it for films, like I have a podcast, but my podcast's not big enough yet to have to, to have Tony Robbins on. Most likely, I mean, I haven't asked him. I could, but I I try to wait till there's value. I'm providing value, not just asking for favors, or till I do a favor before I ask for another one. So it's really um, there's a, I have a concept of when if you want something in life. Um, shoot three, three steps beyond it. And then what you get is it becomes very obvious, uh, that you should have gotten it uh, because you actually went beyond it. So it's just a natural progression of what you would get along the way. Uh, I don't know if I articulated that very well, but that's, that's how I approach it. And then, so film, I, I think what I'm trying to share here too, is that, um, film to me was, became a strategy for, a, a, uh, achieving relationships with people who I desired relationships with. And 
And so sometimes um, it's not always what you see on the surface. There's always the iceberg concept, right? It's not always what you see on the surface is the real reason behind someone does what they do. Now, I enjoy film. I enjoy the output we do. I really do love it. But I think what I love the most is the relationships I gain from the deep time I get to spend with people. Yeah. No, I do get that because my, my first book is called uh, Have You Got the Why Factor, W-H-Y. And uh, I've always said, if you have a big enough why, you'll figure out how. And uh, talking about you saying you started in the music business, um, that my brother and I, we had some really big dreams when we were growing, uh, starting out that we were going to be successful in the music business. This is a short, short version. Anyway, this was my 16, 17, 18 and it never happened. By the time I was 21, I was I, w I was sleeping on a friend's chair, nowhere to go. I thought, let me get a job. Uh, but when we wrote, when we when I wrote the book, The Why Factor, uh, my brother is a great musician, and my niece, we've actually written motivational songs to go along with the book. I mean, they write other songs there, but that connection of music and film in communicating with people's souls. There's just something about it, isn't it? You can watch a movie. How does this, in fact, how does this happen? I'm watching a movie. I know it's a movie or a documentary. I know it's being filmed. And yet I'm crying. <laughs> how does that happen? How do, how do you get through everything? I know this is a movie. This is not, in some yeah. cases, it's not real. And then you start crying. How do you guys do that? So, yeah, we talk about this in our book, Story Selling. Actually, when you are uh, when you're being told a good story, by the way, most people think that storytelling uh, appeals to the creative side of the brain, not the analytical side of the brain. Well, it actually appeals to the analytical side of the brain when you're hearing a story. Coming up with a story it appeals to the creative side of the brain. So it actually you're, it helps your brain make sense of things, even though it feels creative. And it's been proven, science has proven that many uh, – there's chemicals released in your body in many cases that um, put you in the position of, in a way, of the person that you are in a good film. You're, you're the protagonist or who you're on the journey with. Or it actually – there's biochemical reasons for that because I, I don't know the exact way you put it, but at some point you're, 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 you assume – some of the characteristics of the person that you were following, uh, and, and you have a shared experience with them. So it, it's like you have a relationship in, in a book, they call it transportation. You know, when, uh, and, and other things too, but it's books easiest to explain when you're reading a book and the words go away and you start having pictures in your head, you've been transported into a new world. And that's what happens when you watch a good film or read a good book. Your, your brain acts as if, to a degree, it's in the same situation. That's why people will shriek or yell or cry or grab someone next to them if they get scared because your brain sort of turns off a bit of that sense of reality and just assumes what's going on on the screen. So it's it's a transformation. And there there is a, I'm sure there is a technique, there is a technique to it. There's many in, in 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 uh, my business now in, in, in Salamaster, the president, one of the things we do all the time on a presentation, you're basically, you're telling a story. You're telling a story to your, to your customers and it's how good that story is in there. So what would you say are the ingredients of a good story? Well, there's a lot of devices that you can use, but I think a good story is a story that uh, makes the viewer, the listener uh, open their mind and walk through 
possibilities they maybe hadn't thought all the way through, either walking a mile in someone else's shoes or if in selling, you know, sharing with them a story maybe from another client or future pacing, they might call it, you know, them into, hey, I want you to imagine two years from now we'd been working together and the next time you open your office, you know, it's uh, everything's running correctly. You're 10 times more profitable. You know, you're getting them to step into someone's shoes and it could be a real story. It could be a future version of themselves. It is. It's, and I, 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 I think you've got to put yourself into that person's shoes uh, and try and connect and relate with them. And that's, Absolutely. that's really important. So, so uh, again, our top, uh, topic here is the truth about success. So with that in question, what advice would you give to somebody starting out who's got big hopes, big ambitions, and they're just at the beginning of it, or they're just thinking about getting started? What advice would you give somebody starting out? Uh, I would say focus on the why. Uh, first, you said it really well. Focus on the why. Uh, and if you're starting out in a place, and this is, it depends on where you're at in life, uh, how possible this is. But I speak to young people all the time at, you know, classrooms and colleges and universities, excuse me, now mostly digital, but a lot in person in the past. And I tell people, especially college students, I say, look, it, most of the things that you might want to do, I mean, if, if you want to be a surgeon, you're going to, you can't go out and just practice that right now, but you could start getting experience working with a surgeon every day you don't start doing what it is you want to be doing you're essentially on the regression line you're not on that progression line if we, if we cover that again and so i would say start now so figure out a why and if you're in a position where you don't have high financial overhead you know me today i've got you know 10 employees a home a, little, a ranch house you know cars a kid who just turned 16 driving three kids. I got a lot of financial responsibility when it's much harder for me to make. I try, but it's much harder for me to make decisions based on whys sometimes because you have to just feed the financial beast, right? I mean, hopefully you want to never lose your compass and all those things. But when you're in a place where you don't have a lot of financial pressures, I would encourage you to as little as possible, don't bend stick with your why and, and the things you enjoy doing and try to figure that out because we've all seen people who have essentially built a financial prison for themselves, working a job they hate for years, owning a business that it. runs them and rules them. And, and you don't want that. So I would say try to be as strict with yourself as you can, especially, especially when you have as few financial demands as possible. But even if not, there's ways to do it. And, and even if you have to work a job and you have kids and everything – start dedicating some of your time to that why and start trying to incrementally increase that so you can you can you can get in what you want what you want to be doing but and we all need to do like look when we start a business you know you're the janitor the bookkeeper the everything i mean that that happens but try to figure out as quickly as possible how to take take the those duties that you don't like the most off of your desk and off of your responsibilities so you will continue to enjoy it because we've all heard people got into my wife was a nurse she wanted to care for people she ended up hating it because it was all paperwork and hardly ever got to care for people and so uh you know I, try not to create that for yourself that's so common that's so common and uh, but i like that word you just used um the financial prison 
it's amazing how uh, people get themselves into this financial prison. I mean, part of the reason of being successful is to release yourself. But in some cases, if you're not careful, you can get yourself into into this financial prison, isn't it? I mean, that. how do you stay focused? You know, in life, you have all these challenges. We talked about the financial prison. You've got debts, you've got family, you've got everything, and you've got your goals and aspiration. What advice would you give to someone on how to stay focused? You you have to, that's really the key is, is choosing focus, like what to focus on. You cannot focus on everything. I like, again, I, I bring up Dan Sullivan. He's taught me so much. I like, he has a strategy of choosing three things every day you want to get done. And if you get those three things done and you work five days a week, you if you chose the right three things, you've accomplished 15 amazing things. And if you work, you know, 50 weeks a year, or whatever you, you know, you've got 15 times 50, it, you will be very, um, you'll be very productive. The key is choosing the three things that you want to get done intentionally. And of course, there's going to be times where you have to fight a small fire here or do something you didn't plan to do, but it's all about getting back on track. So it's, it's staying focused, remembering your why and committing to, to intentionally getting the things you want done. It could be 10 things a day, but three is pretty easy. And I think we could all agree if you got 15 impactful things done every week, you're doing way more than most other people. It's just making sure you choose impactful things to do every day. So just give me an idea of what sort of things when you say pick three things, what, what would you, what would you suggest? Yeah. You say pick three. So, I mean, I just was in Nashville writing music yesterday. And so I, there are three things I needed to accomplish yesterday. And I, so I scheduled out the three things. I have a young act that's going to go on the road again because the world's opening back up. So we had a meeting with a tour manager yesterday morning for breakfast. Um, I have another record label that we're looking at forming and some work I'm doing with another act. And so I scheduled, we actually did a five mile hike together and talked through that. I didn't have time to work out in the morning cause I flew out at 6am. So we did a workout while both of us like to be active. So we hiked while we had our meeting. And then I, I, every time I'm in Nashville, I songwrite. So I scheduled a songwriting session for the afternoon evening. And uh, those were the three big chunks I scheduled into the day. Um, I won't even, I, I will even I won't even cheat because that's yesterday. We'll look at today. Um, I flew in this morning. Um, I had this on my calendar as something that I couldn't, ideally couldn't move. It was a commitment I made to you and I, I want to deliver that. So that's a big thing I want to get done. And every time I do an interview like this, um, it's helping spread my message. So that's helpful to me. And of course, it's building relationships with people like you and, and hopefully we do more together. Um, I have a uh, an meeting this afternoon uh, with uh, 20 financial advisors we're doing a big project with. Uh, and then I have another call uh, meeting with Giovanni Marcico, who did the Dreamer film with me recently. And I have I had a marketing meeting. I scheduled other things in, but I had three things that were very important to me to keep moving progress forward in, in, in different areas of my business and life. Yeah, so just make a list and make sure on that list are three things every day that in line and in harmony with your business and your goal, where, where you want to go, basically. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Yep. That's what you're saying. Talking about uh, your business, uh, I just wanted to move on now to the Peter Diamond story with Richard Branson and some other people about the X Prize. This is the $10 million prize you uh, that was put out there uh, by Peter Diamond. So please tell us, Tell us a little bit about it and what, what was your takeaway from that, that, that documentary itself? 
Oh, there were a lot. Um, I would say one of the best ones was uh, Peter had offered a $10 million prize to any private citizen or team that could, and there was a specific criteria that they could, you know, create a spacecraft that was reusable, could go into suborbital flight and could do two flights in, I think it was within 10 days of each other. Because reusable is huge for the price of going to space because he wanted to go to space. His why was I want to go to space and I can't afford to build spaceships myself. The neat thing about prizes, if you offer a prize and you know your criteria well, it's been proven that through, through the XPRIZE data, 10 times the amount of the prize purse is spent to win the prize. So you actually get innovation that's you know, hugely beyond what you would get if you just spent $10 million. The second thing is you only have to spend the prize money if you actually get the result. So it's an amazing way to create innovation. Um, I've invested in a company called Hero X that was a spinoff of the X Prize that says, hey, we have money. We want your solution. Instead of like crowdfunding, we have a solution. We want your money. It's like idea, idea sourcing. Hey, we have money. We need your answers. We got to figure this out. So that was a big one. And then also Peter didn't have the $10 million. And it's a long story. But the, the long and short of it is he ended up funding that prize purse with golf tournament hole-in-one insurance. And so there's always a way. I mean, who would have thought that he would buy an insurance policy that's the same as a golf tournament has when someone hits a hole-in-one? And they offer a million dollar purse. That's actually what ended up. He had to pay the policy premium because the insurance company was betting that it couldn't be done in a certain amount of time with all these criteria met. So there's always a way. His why was so strong that he would not stop at anything and ended up buying golf tournament insurance to fund the prize. And uh, so from that story, your, your takeaway then is what? What would you say your takeaway is from that? Uh, there's always a way takeaways? if you are there's committed. If you're committed, it's always a way. Always. There's always a way. If you have a big enough why, you'll figure out how. If you, if you, there's always a way. There's a slogan we have uh, that I use a lot, which is anything is possible. It's truly possible. If you believe in it and you focus on it and you work hard on it, it's truly possible. So your next, uh, another video you did was the dream video. When do you give up on a dream? <laughs> Uh, my friend, Dr. Nita Cobain, an amazing man says, there's no such thing as impossible dreams, just impossible timelines. And so I believe that if a dream was given to you, uh, I believe God doesn't give people trash dreams. I believe it's given to you for a reason. It might scare you. You might have to learn a whole different set of skills. You might have to change everything in your surroundings to get there. But if the dream was given to you, uh, it was given to you for a reason. So I don't take those lightly. So I would say, you should never give up on a dream, uh, but you should realize what's realistic by yourself and how and what else you might need as far as teamwork to achieve whatever that dream is. There was a there was a, a statement you made in the in, in, in the documentary you said it's not an education crisis. It's a culture crisis. What what do you mean by that? Well, the whole problem that that was referencing um, science and technology. Dean came in the inventor of the Segway and the Coca-Cola freestyle machine where you can pick 87 different flavors of Coke. He invented both those things. And he was seeing that there was, you know, every other country around the world was starting to far outpace America when it came to science and technology. And he said he realized that it wasn't an education problem. It wasn't that we didn't have teachers and school systems that were capable of 
teaching at the highest levels. And so we had a culture crisis. We, we no longer had a desire to be amazing in science and technology. Look, when we had the space race, the whole pulse of the country, and we talk about in the Visioneer documentary, the whole pulse of the space race was this is exciting. I want to be the best. I want to be a. Te- I want to be an engineer because I'm part of this great big mission. And we we no longer had that in our culture. It wasn't something we were fighting for. We, if you look on the cover of every magazine, it's uh, how to be skinny or beautiful or how to hit a home run or how to whatever. So culture was focusing on other things. And so the crisis was how to get culture to refocus on the importance and the excitement and the big dreams that can be accomplished through science and engineering. So that's really what that was talking about. Well, that's so important, isn't it? That That is really so important. So, and when you, t- the culture, so the culture of a business, the culture of your business is critical to your success. But how do you, how do you again, but that comes from, would you say that comes from the, the the owner of the business or somebody having a goal and that goal then creates the culture how do you how do you get there yeah culture creation I mean there's people who can speak on it probably a lot more informed than me but I try to give you a, an off-the-cuff answer that's at least helpful um, I think um, culture is created when everyone, involved in the culture essentially is working towards uh, is working towards a similar outcome. And so when we talk about you know the space race, the whole country wanted to do one thing. They wanted, and they say it uh, in the Dreamer movie, there's four, in four words, to beat the Russians. That was the only reason the space race was happening. They wanted to beat the Russians. Now, one of the big purposes, you know, to save the planet, right? To make sure that we can sustainably hold another 2 billion people on this planet that are coming, whether we want them or not. And so I think it's all about creating messaging and dreams and alignment to where everyone, you know, we have a lot of noise in this space of global warming and is it created really by people or is it just the earth doing what it does with you know and, and and i don't know the answers to any of that i'm sure people affect it somehow what i would say is i think the narrative should be hey if you were to if, take the math if you whatever your size of your house is and if you were to have a hundred more people move in to live with you would you have to make some changes of course. And that's what's happening with the earth, right? So it's all about, so like in culture, I think culturally we need to start getting people on the same page. And that to me starts with messaging. And it's not just messaging that's um, that's politically loaded. It's messaging that's true and messaging that uh, that everyone's willing to get behind, not just, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And so I, I don't know if that answer is helpful, but that's what no, comes that, to mind. No, that's helpful. That's helpful. I mean, and, and we're talking about vision. You've got to have a vision, and then you've got to get people behind that vision, and then you've got to go to work. You've got to go to work. Is that, it's that simple. Now, the other, the other um, another documentary you did, which was, you know, when we think about this day and age, and um, we, we generally don't think this is still going on, but it's still going on, you know, the human trafficking, the Operation Tucson. I mean, this is very disturbing in this day and age at how this is still carrying on. I mean, how do you as a director not get personally involved in in, in things like that? How do, how do you stay focused through these 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 documentaries where you are really dealing with real life what is going on in the world today and um 
how do how do how do you handle that? Um, <laughs> it's it can be difficult. It's interesting. I think it circles right back around to what we're talking about. The why is more important than what's happening right now. You know, it's like I've. I have a job to do my job. If I don't do this job really, really well, I can't help the millions of people who could see this and help raise money or help with awareness or whatever it is. So the why is just so important. It of course does affect you. I mean, I've been, you know, to a raid of the largest human trafficking organized crime ring in Haiti. I've been to Iraq and Syria refugee, Syrian refugee camps, speaking with people who've been kidnapped and raped by ISIS and all these terrible things. And, and, um, you know, honestly, at the human level, um, it is a it's an honor to serve these people who've dealt with these things in any way that I can. And so I think that's what drives me because um, I thankfully never been in that situation. But I'm just I'm very focused on you know making sure, of course, any victim or anyone around is being you know well taken care of and and getting the help they need. But my job uh, is to share their stories with their permission uh, so that we can you know, raise awareness, raise money for these causes. And so the why to me, I won't let the emotional side get in the way, at least in the moment. There's definitely been times later, sometimes when I see the edit of the movie where the gravity of it all finally hits me and I just lose it because you're like, wait a second. I mean, you know, while we just before we got on the call, I mean, I, I'm waiting for approval. I'm finishing a movie up on human trafficking in America and I'm waiting on approval from the Department of Homeland Security because we filmed some stuff with them and, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's pretty heavy stuff. And so, but the importance of it is, is helping people. I, I know this will help people. I had one of the guys who's a sheriff who was in the movie. He called me and said, Nick, this is going to save millions of lives. And I said, Oh man, I really hope it has great impact. You said, I, Nick, I deal, I'm on the streets every day. This is going to save millions of children from being drug into a world they did not even know existed and they didn't know how it would happen and now they will. This will save millions of lives. And that to me, if I save one life, it's worth it. But that why is way more important than – I use that as my focus to be able to get through the hard stuff. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, Nick, you know, you've worked with um... – top leaders around the world. What would you say uh, are your top three takeaway traits and char characteristics of these top leaders? What do these, what, what would you say they have? What's in common? They all have curiosity. Uh, Mark Cuban said it best when he said that when you stop being curious, you're dead. So they have curiosity. They want that progress. They want to progress in anything they're doing. So they have curiosity. They clearly have drive. You know, they have drive to achieve the goals they've set out for themselves and others. Um, and I would say um, the best leaders are are uh, are willing to serve others. Uh, I think probably the best ones are willing to serve others over themselves, but at the very least, great leaders are willing to serve others. And uh, serving others allows just so much richness and opportunity to come into your life from a business perspective as well as just a, a spiritual perspective of being well-grounded. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, as we're bringing this to a close now, what what motivates you to continue to build, to grow? Because just talking to you today, I can tell that uh, you've, you, although you've done so much and you've got so much going on, it's like you're getting really, you're getting excited about some other new projects, and you've got some more things going for you. Uh, so, what motivates you to continue to build and grow? I. 
it's in my DNA. I mean, to me, I feel like the more I operate within my unique ability, the more I'm serving others. And I feel like that's what God put me here to do. So it's just exciting. So what is the next opportunity to serve? And what does that look like? It could be, you know, it could be serving at a homeless kitchen, or it could be, you know, uh, answering great questions that you ask. And, you know, however many hundreds or hundreds of thousands of people will hear this, this is, this is part of my mission. So I, it excites me and I do it best when I'm doing it inside my unique ability of having impactful conversations that lead to the produced outcome of this show going out into the world and hopefully serving them well. So to me, it's easy to get excited about, about serving others. Well, it's, it's always, uh, it's always fun. And it, the, those who serve the most get the most in return. And it's not a quid pro quo thing. It's just the richness of the life I've been able to have by serving others. Well, I found the, the better I serve others, uh, the more I get in return, just in fulfillment. It is. We are that, and that is that is again another truth about success: is the more people you serve, the more successful you become. Uh, it's 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 it has to be that way. And you just talked about the DNA. Uh, there. I know one of your your companies is the DNA uh, agency. What what is, is that? Why did you call it DNA? Is it how how important is that? I mean, that's sort of the, the, the glue that holds it all together for me. I mean, so we, you know, that's help DNA was agency. We started to help others build their brands in the, in the marketplace. And by serving those people, many of those clients have stepped up and helped me share the stories of human trafficking or, you know, or Rudy, the, you know, the football player or down syndrome or dreamer. And so it's really been the engine of serving others and helping them get what they need. And then they've been very willing to come back and help me with the things I'm working on. And uh, again, just before we finish, you know, what what would what advice would you give to from your perspective of someone who sort of had become successful and for whatever reason lost their way and they've fallen and you know, they're beginning to question themselves now. They're beginning to say, Maybe I'm not that good enough, maybe I can't do this. What advice would you give to somebody like that who's at that point where they're doubting themselves? I would say we all have those moments. I think it's very important that we are um, honest with ourselves. Like I could say all day long that I want to be a center forward in the NBA, but I'm five foot eight. It's just not going to happen. And I'm not, I'm the terrible basketball player. I'm actually reasonably athletic in most other things. I'm terrible at basketball. So I have to be honest with myself, but so I would have to say, well, what, what did I really desire out of that? Did I desire the camaraderie of being on a team? Did I desire the riches I thought it would bring me the fame of the, and I think you then you, you say, okay, maybe that's not, maybe that's not my tool. So if you're doubting, you're in a place where, um, where you are feeling, you know, down and out, I think you got to go back to the core of what is your why and what are you really trying to achieve and say, okay, how else might I achieve that? And who could help me? Like, I think in a lot of cases we, we ask how too much, we don't ask who, and, and Dan Sullivan has a new book called who, not how it's amazing. And most of the answers to what you need, you might need a mentor. That's a who you might need someone who, you know, if, if I love the game of basketball uh, and I just want to play recreationally, well, maybe I need a who to coach me so I can play at a better level. I, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's all about, I think I would just, sometimes we just get in, you know, we have to walk through quicksand sometimes. It has nothing to do with our own scenario. It's, it's, it's external forces. And those times you just got to trudge on. But I think it's always important during those times and other times of hardship to just 
constantly be analyzing? Is this self-inflicted? And if so, um, what what might I need to adjust or who might I need to partner with to help me get through this? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I, I tend to like to say to, to people, this, I ask this question of myself all the time. Is what I'm doing working? It's, it's just such a simple but powerful, it's what I'm doing working. If it's not, then why is it not working? Find out what it is and try and fix it, you know, and keeping it simple. So just to wrap that up, uh, Nick, uh, the truth about success, that's that's what we're all about here, is what? how would you define success? What's your definition of success? Um. Man, I, like I have different, there's different markers for success for me, I guess. But, but uh, so I think about like, what would be success in parenting my kids? What would be success in the way I lead my team? But I, I think to me, uh, I don't want to be too cliche about it, uh, but I think serving others well, like success. If I, if I left the planet tomorrow, if I asked myself today, did I serve others well? Um, and the overarching answer is yes, then I think that's success. And I, I truly have seen the result of when you serve others well, there's opportunity abounds. And there's opportunity for money. There's opportunity for impact. There's opportunity for relationships, all these things. But it's when we get out of our own heads and our own ways and start focusing on others is when things get better. And so I, I'd say success to me is serving others well. Great answer, great answer, great answer, uh, Nick. Then my mom brought me up. One of the things she told me was, uh, "Be careful how you treat people on the way up, because you meet the same people on the way down." <laughs> always, uh, always, and uh, that that was that was great. So, Nick, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy, and we truly appreciate uh, you taking the time out to share your wisdom with us. And and I know it's a lot of hard work, determination. Uh, that, that got you to where you are. We're a big fan of yours. That's why we're working with you. And I hope you keep changing lives and making a difference uh, in other people's lives. And you continue to do that uh, there thank because uh, everybody needs a little bit of help along the way, don't they? And of thank course. you for doing that. Thank you. Oh, it's my so pleasure. Thank you thank for you. sharing your wisdom. Thanks for having so me. So everyone, we'll yeah, everyone, this is the truth about success. This is, uh, we're coming to close here. Please, if you like what you've seen today, and you've enjoyed it, please uh, share this uh, podcast with, with as many people as you can. Please subscribe to our channel. Uh, we're going to be doing one of these every month. There we're going to be bringing speakers from all walks of life. And I like what Nick just said there. You know, one of the things about success, we're not just talking about success in business. We're just talking about success. Success could be just parenting. Hey, you've got to be, become a successful parent or, or, or whatever. There's so many avenues we want to look at. We're all human beings. We're all in this together. And there is a way. You just have to find the way that works for you. So thank you for being on the call. And I'll see you on our next podcast.